Hi, good morning. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We'll read our text there in just a bit. Welcome to those who are joining us by live stream and television and radio. We're glad to have you tuned in. Today we're talking in this series, All Things New in a New Year, and uh, I want to talk to you about how to think different in the coming year. And uh, that's because our minds ha- are so powerful in fl- influencing and shaping uh, the way we live and the way we behave. Now, Daniel Amen reports that your brain makes up only 2% of your body's weight. That's typically on average about 3 pounds. But it uses 20 to 30% of the calories that you take in as well as 20% or more of the oxygen and blood flow in your body. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Um, but, but your brain is more than just a, a physical organ. The fact is, your brain or your mind affects your spiritual and your emotional responses uh, in your life. In fact, um, in her book, uh, Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral to- of Toxic Thoughts, Jeannie Allen writes this. She writes, did you know that... T- more has been discovered about our minds and our brains in the last 20 years and in all the time before that. She says, did you know that an estimated 60 to 80% of all visits to primary care physicians have a stress-related component? Did you know that research shows that 75 to 98% of mental, physical, and behavioral Ill- illness comes from your thought life? Did you know that with what we know about the brain today, when scripture is talking about the heart, it really can be and often is talking about the mind and the emotions that we experience in our brains. Well, that's perhaps why Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. I believe, I shared this with our staff this past week in some of our time in the Word of God, I I believe the greatest battlefield in our life is the battlefield of the mind. It is one of, if not the primary place that the devil assaults our lives. And this is not new. I mean, the devil's been attacking our brains and our thoughts and the way we process information from the very beginning. He attacked uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the battlefield that it all began on. And I believe that's because there's no question that the devil understands that if he can deceive and destroy your, the way you think or confuse and make it inconsistent with how God teaches us, he knows he can damage greatly your walk with God and your work uh, for God. And so he assaults us there. He attacks there. Uh, he wants uh, to have control of the way we process and the way we look at our world. And so your mind, your brain, the way you think is so vital to your spiritual health and behavior. And so that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. And if you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we honor God's word, beginning in verse 1, just two verses, Romans 12. This is what Paul writes. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living uh, uh, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for this, your word, the truth, and we pray that you will use it this morning, uh, Father, to influence and to transform our minds. But, Father, we pray that so that our whole lives will be shaped according. And we pray, God, that you will uh, use your word this morning in conjunction with your Holy Spirit uh, to create in us, Father, new hearts, new minds, and, Father, new directions for this new year. Speak to us. We are listening to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, these two verses, maybe they're familiar to you. These two verses um, are two of the simplest and what I believe most profound principles uh, for effective uh, living uh, for the believer. And verse 2 in particular is important because it's in the imperative. If you've sat under my ministry for very long, you know I often like to call attention to imperatives. There's so many imperatives in the scripture. And why is that important? Well, imperatives are commands. And so when Paul writes this in, in verse 2, he's giving us some commands. He's not giving to us uh, options. He's not saying, well, you consider this and decide what you want to do. He's saying, no, this is a command, and it has, therefore, this kind of biblical authority for us. And so Paul is not writing this and suggesting that we do these things. He is writing this and commanding that we do these things in order that we might and here's the reason, properly understand the will of God. In other words, Paul is saying you are to do these things so you can know what the will of God is. One of the things that preachers are most often asked is how can I know the will of God for my life? I, I think most people, I, I don't know if I can say everybody, but I think most people and certainly most Christians uh, would like to have a grasp of God's will. Would you agree with that? That we want to, what does God really want me to do? How do I, and how do I know when something is uh, God's uh, will? Um, I had a, I received a message last night from a member, and they were, have been praying about something for a long time. And they said, Pastor, would you just, would you give me your counsel on a matter? Uh, so I'll know whether to keep praying or not. And we're trying to discern the, the will of God. And I hope I gave good counsel as it relates uh, to that because we want to know what God wants. That, if you do, that means you're sane, okay? That you want to know what does God want and how can I know? Well, Paul says to us that uh, in verse 2 that these things we are to do in order that we might really understand what the will uh, of God is. And it's important that we not miss the connection of verses 1 and 2. And I want to show you something because I'm going to focus in just a moment primarily on verse 2. But verse 2 is closely connected to verse 1. So let me show you something about verse 1. It kind of sets up uh, the importance of verse 2. You see, the beginning place for, for a mind under control is a life that has been surrendered. So he starts there, and the order is uh, important. So the idea here is that, you, you notice in verse 1 he says, presenting yourselves as a living sacrifice. The idea here is that, uh, and by the way, when he says present your bodies, we tend to think body, okay, this is my body. But when Paul uses that term, the idea is the whole you, body, soul, your mind, it is you, it is all of you. It's not like, okay, here's my body. It is far more than that. It's far more... 
uh, significant than just the physical you. It is the physical you, the mental you, the spiritual you. And genuine commitment to God embraces, you see, every dimension of your life. And so he starts there. And to God, you cannot dedicate the body without dedicating the spirit and the mind. And without this kind of comprehensive dedication, uh, then you are prone to be victimized by the powerful and corrupted influences of the world. And so Paul says in verse 1 there, and given the mercies of God, in other words, because God has been merciful to us, the reasonable thing or the reasonable response for us is to say, I surrender myself to him. And, and by the way, he says that is an act of worship. That's just, it just makes sense is what Paul is saying. God has been merciful to us. And so as a result of that, we should just surrender ourselves willingly as an act of worship uh, to him. Well, okay, that then leads to verse 2. That's kind of background. And what I want to do is I want to show you three things then that are important. So if I surrender myself, all of myself, and the battlefield is my mind, then in surrendering to God, I'm saying, God, take over the battlefield, right? Control the battlefield. So if you want to think differently in 2023, you may be a person that says, I don't like the way I think. If I don't know what it's about. It may be about a lot of things. You may say, I, I want to think different. Well, the Bible teaches us, the Bible has a lot to say about your mind, by the way. The Bible teaches us a, a, a great deal about the mind. And in particular here, I think Paul is teaching us how we can think new. And I think that's important for the new year. I want to show you three things. The first thing, if you want to think different in the coming year, you're going to need to avoid a conformed mind. You're going to need to avoid a conformed mind. Verse 2, keep your Bibles open. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. That means literally, don't let your mind be shaped by the world. And, and the, world, the word world there it means the age, literally the age, the age you're living in. In other words, what, what kind of controls the way the world thinks, the age thinks, the, well, the term, the a term is sometimes used, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. How does that, and, and your world tends to live that way. That's why things, you know, their opinions change about things and fluctuate uh, so frequently. And so Paul is saying, don't let the spirit of the age, the world you're living in, the times, be the influencer on the way you think. Now, we hear a lot of times today things like, well, that's your truth, and that's your truth, and that's your truth. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the truth. There aren't all these truths. There is the truth. And everything else, all beliefs, all values, all of that is measured against the truth. So what Jesus is the living Word of God. So what does the living Word of God I have to say, so that we have a standard by which we compare the ideas of the world. Does that make sense? And so this is what Paul's getting at. It's the heart of what he's trying to help us with is to understand that our minds must not be shaped. One translation puts it this way, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Because the fact is, I think you would agree, everything that comes in here tends to shape who you become, right? 
It tends to shape the way you see the world, tends to shape the things you value, tends to shape your priorities. And so that's why it's so important we understand uh, this whole shaping of our mind. M. Griffin, in his book, The Mind Changers, describes an experiment that was done by Solomon Ash with uh, several groups of 12 people. Now listen to this experiment. They were brought into a room where four lines of unequal length were displayed. You got the picture? So groups of 12 people. They're brought into a room, and in that room are displayed four different lines of unequal length. Here's what they had to decide. They had to decide which two lines were actually the same length, and then publicly, in the midst of a group, the group of 12, publicly uh, vote for their choice. Y'all got it? So they do this in group. Person after person after person, 11 in all, voted for the wrong line. 11 of the 12, one after other, voted for the wrong line. And here's the reason they did that. 11 of the 12 had been told ahead of time which line to vote for. So they purposely voted for the wrong line. Are y'all staying with me on this? The one individual who wasn't told was in the dark and couldn't imagine how in the world all these seemingly normal people could all choose the wrong line. And when it was his turn to vote, he had to decide, do I go with what I know my senses are telling me or do I go with the crowd? And they did this in groups of 12. So they did it for, uh, okay. Did you know, listen to this, one-third of all of those tested caved in to group pressure and changed their vote to agree with the rest of the crowd just because they did not want to go against the majority vote. Peer pressure. Have you ever felt that kind of pressure? You know, peer pressure, well, I, you know. I love the story about a little boy who went to Sunday school. And uh, his, tic- uh, his uh, Sunday school teacher was showing pictures of different things. And, or, I, 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 let me rephrase that. He, she was not showing pictures. She was describing different things. And so, and letting the kids guess what, what she was describing. And so she did this. Here's one. It's brown. It's furry. It lives in the trees. It likes nuts. And finally, a little boy threw his hands up and she says, Okay, Billy, what is it? He said, It's Jesus. She said, Jesus, Billy? He said, Well, it sounds a whole lot like a squirrel to me, but since I'm in church, I'll say Jesus. (laughs) Well, Sometimes we kind of succumb to the pressure in our world like that, don't we? Well, everybody says, I know it doesn't make sense, and it's, it just, it's not what it, but everybody says so, so I'm not going to go. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're not to allow our minds to be corrupted by a false view that is developed in the world. And you and I are bombarded with that every single day. Paul's concern as he's writing to these Roman Christians is that their minds would be shaped by the very same things that shape the people who do not know God. 
that it would be a kind of spiritual peer pressure that came from the age that would cause them to cave in and just go along. He doesn't want, Paul doesn't want this kind of worldly, spirit-of-the-age culture to be the controlling influence on the way they think and view their life and what's going on around them. And you know, this is particularly relevant to us today, right? Because, you know, your world is always calling for a, a spirit of accommodation. It's always calling you for a spirit of affirmation of things that frequently go against and defy what God has said. And, you know, uh, it's always pulling out our minds. In fact, let me give you a couple of examples uh, today that illustrate how the world is calling for affirmation and accommodation. It, the world, the spirit of the age, the culture has redefined, for example, marriage. It's t it tells us now marriage is whatever uh, you want it to be. But listen to what the scripture says. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. That's pretty clear, don't you think? In terms of a definition of marriage. Another example is we are increasingly today being told to stop identifying people by gender. We're told don't identify people as male or female anymore. Our academic universities have gone nuts with this. And we're seeing it reflected in media and those sorts of things. But listen to what the scripture says. God created them male and female. That's masculine and feminine. That's in the scripture. But the spirit, now, by the way, there are people watching this right now, and maybe some of you in this building who are a little bit uncomfortable about me talking about it, and that proves the point. It proves the point. If you're uncomfortable with this, that the world has begun to shape the way you see that. That's exactly what the world wants to happen in your mind, is for you to say, well, I know what God says, but that's not popular in the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or offend you, but if, you, if, if you're uncomfortable with that, it probably is a reflection that your mind has begun to take on the shape of the ideology of the world instead of the teaching of God's Word. Eric Metaxas, in his most recent book, which I highly recommend, Letters to the American Church, of these kinds of shaping cultural influences, he says, many Christians have been fooled into thinking that they are essentially harmless. And then he adds, what we must dare to see is that these many biblically defiant ideas share a bitter taproot that leads all the way down to hell. Let me share a verse, uh, well, a couple of verses with you out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and following. Listen to this. In fact, jot that down. Go look at it and study it later on. But John writes and says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. That is the world's system, the world's way of, of operating. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the, uh, of the eyes and pride of life, None of it is from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you get that? In, in that passage, John gives three reasons 
why Christians should avoid having their minds shaped by the thinking patterns of the world. He gives us three reasons there. Let me give them to you. Write these down. First of all, because the world or the age you're living in has no interest in the things of God. The, the world is not concerned about God. They're, they're not interested in the things of God, and that is because they are under the domain and the rule of Satan. The Bible clearly says that if this world is under the influence of, of the enemy of your soul, the one who has come, the Bible says, to still kill and destroy. And so the world, the age, has no interest in the things of God. The world's interest is in the desires of the flesh, John says, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. That's, what the world, that's where the world's interest is. And that's because, now you, that's because the, the Bible says that Satan, the God of this world, has blinded their eyes so that they can't see what's true. I, I'm not telling you uh, to get mad at the lost world, but I am telling you to understand, never, never expect the lost world not to ask loss. Uh, never expect them not to act lost. So we don't get mad at them, for, but we do need to understand the shaping influence right because if not that same shaping influence shapes us and so the the world is not injured john tells us that the second thing john uh, says as to why we must avoid uh, having our minds shaped by the thinking patterns of the world is because he points out that there are two distinctly different kingdoms there's the kingdom of man i just rem, uh, mentioned the, the domain of this world that satan has control of by the way only by God allowing that, and one day he will, uh, he will be held accountable, okay, but this world is broken, it is under his rule by God's allowing um, for this time. But there are two distinct kingdoms. The, the other kingdom is the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul tells us that in Christ our citizenship is in heaven. We live in this world, but the real kingdom, the ultimate kingdom we belong to is the kingdom of, of God. And here's the problem. The kingdom of man and the kingdom of God are incompatible. And so John wants to remind us of, of these things. If anyone loves the world, that's this kingdom. The love of the Father is not in and for all that's in the world. What is it? The flesh and the, the, the lust of the eyes and the desires and pride of life. He said that's not from the kingdom of God. It is from the kingdom of the world. And so, so we have to avoid being conformed. Uh, I love the stories told Athanasius uh, he was an early bishop from Alexandria, and he stoutly opposed the uh, teachings of a man named Arius. Arius was teaching uh, that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, that he was just some subordinate being. That's heresy, by the way. And Arius was teaching this in, the, in, the, in Alexandria, and uh, Athanasius, a godly bishop, he, he, he stood in opposition as a result of his opposing this, he was exiled on five different occasions by the emperor because he opposed the heresy. Are you with me? And so they sent him off five different times, and they bring him back, and they send him off, and then they bring him back, and he refused to bend on this. And finally, he was summoned before the emperor Theodosius, and Theodosius said to, uh, uh, to Athanasius, he said, Hey, look, when are you going to stop opposing this? The emperor then rebuked him, and said, don't you realize, Athanasius, that the whole world is against you? And Athanasius responded quickly back to the emperor, and he said, then Athanasius, uh, Athanasius is against the whole world. 
In other words, I'm not backing off the truth. No matter what the world holds, I'm not going to back off of that. And John is telling us that, and Paul is telling us that, and we must avoid being conformed. A third reason to avoid being conformed, John gives us in the passage we read from him, is because the world is not going to endure. The world is passing away. One day it's going to be gone. This system, the bad stuff, the good stuff, whatever, this system is temporary. It is going to pass away. And so John says, don't let the world shape you. Let the kingdom and the word of God shape you because this is all going away. And when it goes away, one day we're, you will be glad that you were shaped by the word of God. I was thinking the other night I was driving home from church last Wednesday night and I had a blowout on the circle. And, um, and I, I, I got my car off the road and everything it was late. I was tired and everything. I'm thinking, now what I, you know, you start thinking, what? It's here. And no Christians would stop and help me. <laughs> no, I was really pulled off in a place where, and, and eventually I just decided to call AAA. But, uh, but you know what I got to thinking there while I'm, I'm pulled off and I'm, I'm tired. I'm hungry because I'm a Baptist. Uh, I hadn't eaten in a while. I just want to get home, and I think, now i got to fiddle, you know, and they got to send this guy, and i got to wait on that and everything, and I'm kind of grousing a little bit, and then I had this thought, you know, heaven is going to be wonderful, because in heaven, we won't have flat tires, we won't have blowouts, we won't have washing machines that break down, refrigerators that go out, or heating that goes out when it's really cold. You know, those kinds of things. All of that. It, isn't that great that this system is going to pass away? In heaven, there, look, I hate, if you're in the repair business, I hate to tell you, in heaven, you're not going to be repairing anything. If you do road work, you want, oh, we, got a, we got a pothole on the streets of gold over there. On, you know, it's not going to be happening. Why? Because those things will have passed away. This system will have passed away. And John tells us, and that's what Paul wants us to understand. Look, this is all so temporary. Don't get caught up in such a way that it shapes and drives your life. Does that make sense? So if you want to think different in 2023, then, then don't allow the world to conform you and victimize you by its thinking patterns. So, so how do we avoid a conformed mind? I'm glad you asked. That leads to the second point. How do you avoid being conformed in your mind to the, the, the patterns of the world? Second, you adopt a transformed mind. He says, do not or don't be conformed to this world, but, you know, I'm so glad when the scripture tells us not to do something, it also tells us what to do. And that's what's going on here. He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but here's what you should do. Be transformed in your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is a present imperative. You remember I told you a minute ago about the imperative thing, and if you've been here long enough, you know I love talking about the imperative. Verse 2 is full of uh, a couple of imperatives. This is an imperative, but listen to this. This is in the present imperative. You say, thanks, Pastor, let me write that down, and that'll change my life. It, it, it is very important it, to understand what that means. When he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, it's not a one-and-done deal. It's not like, okay, I did that, next. 
I, I was renewed in my mind. Next. That's not what it's like. Here's what it means. Be renewed in your mind and keep on having your mind renewed. You, you, look, if you think this is a one and done, you're going to be, the devil, the devil be pleased for you to believe that. But what Paul is writing to say is, this is an ongoing, lifelong process. I'm a constantly having my mind renewed. Because if I don't, I know what is going to shape my mind. And it's interesting because he uses this word here, transformed. Why does Paul use the word transformed? He uses it because you have a default, a, a default nature. You know what we mean when we say default? Default is the setting that er, uh, something they'll say. This is the default setting. It is the the factory setting. You know, this is the way it's set from the beginning. If you don't do anything, this is how it's going to operate. Whatever it is, do you know you have a default setting in your life? And you know what the default setting is? It's your old sinful nature. And here's why Paul uses the word transform, because if you, if you are not transformed, you're going to live out of your default nature. So something, something has to interact, something has to happen uh, to change that, that, that renewal process. Something has to intervene if it's going to be different. And what is that? Well, it is this, this renewal process. Have you ever noticed this? Nobody ever has to coach you in how to do the wrong thing. There are life coaches and all of these things today, but they're all about how to get better and how to, you know, do this better and this better and this better. Nobody is a failure coach. Why? Because you got that by default. Nobody has to teach you how to think wrong. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody has to teach you how to do the wrong thing. You got that on the backstroke. So we never have people say, would you come and teach me how to fail? Would you come and teach me how to do the wrong things? Would you come and show me the things that I can do that will be, be displeasing to God? No, you just live at your default setting and you will do and be the wrong uh, uh, person, Right? Because, I mean, that's your default nature. So Paul uses the word transform. So your default nature has to be transformed. Number one, it's transformed first because of Jesus Christ when you trust him as your Savior. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. So that's step of transformation number one. But then after you have been saved, that transformation still requires an ongoing, we call it the process of sanctification, this is a growth process, this is ongoing process in where your mind has to be renewed because if it is not renewed, and it is probably, as I said, the primary battleground, if it is not renewed, guess what? It's going to default to the old you. That makes sense? So he uses this term to remind us. Now, a, a transformed mind... I think we all agree here this morning. I think we'd all say, well, transform mind. Yeah, we need a transform mind. I, I don't think anybody, I'm not going to do this. I might embarrass myself, but I don't think anybody in here will raise their hand and say, well, we don't really need a transform mind. I think we all agree to that. But can I tell you this, that a transform mind doesn't happen by accident? It doesn't happen by accident. 
Jesus wants you to have a transformed mind. Jesus will help you uh, cultivate a transformed mind, but Jesus will not force you to have a transformed mind. So how does a transformed mind happen? I'm so glad you asked because I want to tell you three ways to transform your mind. And these are all biblical. There's all the scripture uh, to support these things. Write them down. Number one, you want to have a transformed mind in 2023, then you must guard your mind. You have to guard your mind. What does the world do? The world is bombarding us with things, and then we have uh, circumstances in a broken world. Uh, 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 you know, things happen in our life. We have a flat tire or a blowout and things like that. What does the world do? It tries to create anxiety, doesn't it? it tries to create anxiety. Uh, if you read the newspapers, you watch much news, uh, the, the world will create a great deal of fear, won't it? The world will create these things, its way of thinking, its way of understanding. And that doesn't mean those things are not necessarily real, okay? But because that is true, you have to guard your mind. You have to guard what comes in uh, to your mind. Now listen, how do you do that? Well, Paul tells us, write this reference down, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, because he tells us how to guard our minds. Did you know that? How do we do that? He writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, do you get that? Everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now listen, here's the last statement he makes in those two verses. And the peace of God, everybody wants peace, right? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you can't explain it. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you guard, how do you guard your mind? You guard your mind in prayer. He says, look, don't be anxious about anything. The world creates that kind of anxiety in your mind, your heart and everything. Don't be, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer, take it to Him. Talk to Him. Give it to Him. Do you know uh, the Bible says we take every thought obedient to the, uh, or captive to obedience in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a practical way to make that verse work in your life. I, I, I began practicing this a long time ago. That some kind of thought, I'm not perfect at it, don't, don't get me wrong, but some thought comes and I know I don't need to entertain that thought. You know what? Here's what I will frequently do. I, I talk to Jesus, say, Jesus, you take that thought. You take that thought captive. Take it captive. I talk to him. That's prayer. Why? Because I want him to take it. Because if he doesn't take it, I know what it'll do in my, my mind. And so do you, you get that? So you take those thoughts uh, and you give them to God and you let God take uh, control. That's one of the, And he says this, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the first thing you have to do is you have to guard your mind. The second thing is, you have to guide your mind. I probably should do a message on each of these three, but maybe one day down the road. But the second thing is you must guide your mind. <clears throat> what does guiding your mind mean? It means a disciplined kind of focus on the things of God and the priorities of the kingdom of God. So you guide your mind. You're involved in this process. That's, that's another way of saying it. And, and what, what reference, where does the Bible teach us at Colossians 3, 2? It tells us how to guide our minds. Here's what it says. Set, set, that is fix your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Fix your mind. Set your mind. It is a deliberate act. You know, God could just say, I'm just going to fix your mind. I'm just going to set your mind and everything. 
But then it wouldn't have the dynamic of relationship, would it? It'd be robotic. So God says, you've got to discipline your mind. You've got to guide your mind, set your mind on things above, not on things below. That's what he tells us. This is our responsibility to do. If we're going to guide it, we make the decision, I'm going to set my mind on the things uh, above. All right? So there is, there's personal spiritual discipline involved in this process uh, of transforming our mind. Then the third thing you must do is you must groove your mind. You must groove your mind. I sort of, uh, you must make your mind groovy. Um, but some of y'all probably wouldn't remember that. I grew up as a child of the 70s where a lot of things were groovy uh, and far out. But, but frankly, did you know your mind is groovy in a different kind of way? So I'd heard this, and so I started doing, when I was working on the message this past week, I began doing a little bit more research on this whole idea. Your brain has grooves in it. Uh, your brain has little trenches, if you will, in it. And these are called seleuci, which are commonly referred to as these trenches or these grooves. And they are under the folds of your brain. You see there are these folds, and then under the folds are these seleuci, which are grooves. They're little, like, like... Um, almost like ditches, and they get, uh, they get longer and they get deeper and stronger based on what you put in them. So you can actually create, they expand the information area of your brain. And so what happens is if there's something that you begin to put in your brain, there, there are habit, uh, habits that you repeat or things that you repeat that form habits or they are behavioral patterns, you begin to groove things in your brain. That's why a habit can be hard to break. By the way, I would also say it's why sin can be hard to deal with sometimes. It can set up a groove in your life. So what do you do? You have to counter the grooves. How do you counter the grooves? Well, you, you create new grooves. And how do you create a new groove? You create a new groove with the Word of God, the truth, to counter this old groove. And the old groove, as it's countered and as it's no longer fed, guess what happens? It begins to close back up. So we have to create new grooves. Am I making sense to you? How do we create those new grooves? Uh, well, the Bible tells us, Hebrews 4.11 tells us that we groove our brains with the Word of God because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It piercing, listen, piercing to the division of your soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we, we create new grooves in our mind with the Word of God. When he says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it is the idea of uh, replacement. So there's old stuff that needs to be uh, uh, put away. There's new stuff that needs, to be, that needs to replace it. What is the new stuff? The new stuff is the Word of God. It is the truth of God. Your, your brain responds to what you put in it. Uh, the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is how I groove it. With your, with your word. So since it responds to what you put in it, it's going to be shaped by something, right? Your brain is going to be shaped by something. Your mind is going to be shaped. So be sure that you put the right stuff in it. And look, look, just a little footnote. Grooving your brain 
is also about what you restrict to enter it. So you, you replace, you put, you put truth in, but you restrict what's coming in too. And look, as simply as I know how to say, that means that maybe you need to turn some things off. You, there may be some programs you need to quit watching. There, there may be some, by the way, there may be some conversations that you need to quit having. There may be some, listen, God forbid, there may be some social media stuff that you need to get away from. Stop doing stop reading there may be some websites that you need to stop visiting why because all of these things and other things shape your brain so they have to be used with caution or not used at all in fact you know what what would happen do you think in 2023 and i want to challenge you to do this if you watch one less television program a day and spent that amount of time in the word of god just reading the word of god what difference? Would, it would make a huge difference. And, and so well, think about this. There's some stuff I can turn off. There's some stuff I can quit reading. There's some stuff, I, I want to tell you something, I've, I've practiced that in the last uh, several years in my own life. There's some things I've just turned off. There are some things I no longer read. I just got away from it because I thought, you know what? I don't like the way this is shaping my, my thinking. And I want to challenge you to do do that very thing the psalmist again in psalm 119 11 said i've stored up your word in my heart that i might not sin against you create a new groove and cause some other grooves to close up because you no longer feed uh, those uh, grooves if you want a renewed mind and you want to be renewed in the the coming year and your your thinking then uh, put some new scriptural grooves in your brain with the Word of God. Now, I know people will say this sometimes. I've had them say it to me, you know, but I've tried to read the Scripture. I'm just not getting anything out of it. I, I just don't get, I don't get much out of it. And I, I, I read it and everything. Well, li listen, let me, let me just give you an illustration of something. I promise you, if you will stay with it, it will bear fruit. Think like this. Um, I take several medications. I'm at that age. And, and one of the things is I take a real small cholesterol dosage three times a week. And I decided a couple of years ago to be a smarty britches and play doctor for myself. And I had, you know, be careful with Dr. Google. And so I decided to invoke Dr. Google without the input of my my medical, my intern doctor, my medical internist. And so I began to read up on how to lower natural, natural remedies for lowering, lowering cholesterol. I thought, I'll get off of this cholesterol medication. If you use natural things and it's working for you, you great, okay? So this isn't the commercial for medication or not. You got enough of those on television. So, so but I decided I'm going to do this. And I get my blood checked every every quarter. My doctor wants to check my blood and my labs and that's some stuff because of family history and all that sort of stuff. So I decided in between those, after one visit, I said, now I'm going to try to my natural alternative course to lower my cholesterol. I'm not going to tell my doctor. I'm just not going to take my medicine. Now, first of all, let me just say this. I don't get up in the mornings going, 
Where's my cholesterol medication? I can't wait to take my cholesterol medication. I couldn't even sleep last night. I was so excited about getting up and taking my cholesterol medication. Where, where is it? Where I don't wake up like that. And when I take it, when I take it, I don't go, <gasps> I feel it. The plaque in my arteries is breaking up. I can feel it right now. I can feel it. I, I don't have that experience. I, you, maybe you do. I don't. Okay? But how do I know it's working? Well, because I go for a report every four months, and my doctor tells me the status of my cholesterol, which, by the way, is very, very good. But, but in this particular experiment where Dr. Ray stepped in, I avoided it for, you know, a whole quarter, hoping to go back when he got my blood work and go, my goodness. But here's what he did when he looks at my lab work. He goes, ooh, ooh, you don't ever want your doctor to do that. And I thought, I know what he's probably looking at and he says this because he doesn't know because I didn't tell him I'm hoping to be able to go I know look at that uh-huh. I ain't been taking my medicine and look at it <clears throat> he says we got a problem he said your cholesterol man it took a dramatic jump between the last time and this time he said I'm gonna have to put you on some higher cholesterol medication that's when I knew I had to come clean I said, wait a minute, dog, let me tell you. I decided, I, I said, I do too much research. And I had come up with an alternative plan, a natural plan that would get it down. And I said, so I haven't been taking my prescription. And he looked at me and he said, stop it. He said, start taking your medication again. I said, I get it, I get it. I did, things improved. Now, you say, what is the point of that story? Well, I've already forgotten. No, I haven't. <laughs> Y'all don't even remember where we were, do you? Here's the point of that. When the Word of God, sometimes you read it and you go, I don't think this is doing any good. You may even say, I didn't wake up saying I can't wait to read the Scripture. I hope maybe you do, but you might not have. It may stun you, but I don't wake up every day going, oh, I can't wait to have my quiet time. I do, but I don't always wake up in this super spiritual mode. But here's what I want you to get. What I have learned is that by taking in the Scripture, consistently taking it in, whether it is overwhelmingly profound or whether there's not much that jumps out, I have found that over time it works. Does that make sense? It's not because I feel like it. It's not because I, 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 uh, 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 I've been waiting to, to take it in. It's because over time, the report down here says, oh, something will happen in my life. And suddenly the word of God comes rushing back to me. Oh, oh, yeah. You don't even realize it, but you're putting it in, and it is a protective spiritual medication to your soul and it's what transforms your mind but let me close I want to close with one last thing if you want to think differently in the coming year you're going to need to activate an informed mind I got to looking how many times 
I've almost completed 22 years here. So I went back and I said, how many times have I preached on this passage? Not this message. This is a new message. But how many times have I preached this passage in 22 years? I preached it four times. Four times. This will be number five. And, um, and when, I, when I started looking at the passage, I saw something I don't think I've ever paid attention to before. But it's the last phrase where it says... Uh, that, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what the good, acceptable, and perfect uh, will of God is. And it suddenly dawned on me that the reason for our transform transforming our mind with the Scripture is so that we can prove, and the word testing is sometimes translated as, as prove, so that we can see the will of God and understand it, so that we can discern it. So my mind is transform uh, transformed by the word of God and the transformation of my mind enables me to align myself and understand the will of God as I said we sometimes say well what's the will of God get full of the word of God you'll have a transformed mind when you have a transformed mind it becomes activated to what the the will of God is you begin to know what the will of God is as I said people often ask what's the will of God how can I know the will of God get full of the word of God and you will be able to discern the will of God a transformed mind will lead to an activated informed mind about the things of God Recently, well, in the series that we've been in, this is a little break. We'll go back to that series on God is up to something big in a few weeks. But in that series, if you were here, you remember I said something. The most important thing in the universe is the will of God. It's the most important thing, and it's going to be accomplished. But the second thing I added to that, and the most important thing in your life is doing the will of God. So uh, Paul tells us right here, if you have a transformed mind, guess what that mind will do? It will activate your access to the will of God. It'll enable you to understand the will of God. Martin Luther King Jr. said it well. I like it. He said this. He said, like anybody else, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But he added, but I'm not concerned about that right now. I'm concerned about doing the will of God. I just want to do the will of God, he added. Listen, when you live consistently renewing your mind, you will enable and you will enlarge your capacity to know God's will. A, a renewed mind has a capacity to both prove and demonstrate the validity of God's will. An informed mind is in tune with God's mind and a mind that has been in, uh, transformed by the word of God is able to discern and to do the will of God and so with that <clears throat> our minds are significantly involved in both understanding the will of God doing the will of God and living in the right kingdom let me close with this from Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. Paul writes and says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Remember Paul also said, set your mind on things above? He uses that word several times in the New Testament, set, set, or fix. He uses it again here in Romans chapter 8, and he said, Your mind, if it is set on the flesh, 
That is, if it's focused on flesh, he says that, that um, it can't please God. For to set the mind on the flesh, he says, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Why? He says, because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, he said, because it's a fleshly mindset, it cannot understand or set itself on the things of God. Those who are in the flesh, he says, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But then he adds, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Did you get that? All right. Here's what he's saying. Only those who have the Spirit can then set their minds on the things of God that will lead them to life and peace. You see, your mindset really tells a lot about your relationship with God or your lack thereof. So if you want a new way of thinking in the new year, Paul tells us avoid having your mind conformed by the world. And then make sure you are continuously transforming your mind or renewing it with the Word of God because it will activate a mind that understands or is informed by the will of God. You want to think different in the coming year? Well, it's pretty, a pretty profound couple of principles there to help us do just that. But isn't it interesting that God doesn't say to us, I'll make you think right. He will help you think right. He will be the resource, the Spirit of God in you, unless you don't have the Spirit, Paul says. And if you don't have the Spirit, he says, you don't belong to God. If you don't belong to God, you can't have a renewed spiritual mind. So maybe you're watching on live stream or in this live audience, whatever it may be, and you've never truly trusted Christ. That's the beginning part of transformation. And I want to urge you today to call on him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then maybe you say, well, I have done that. I, I'm saved. I, I have assurance of my salvation. The Spirit lives in me, but, but I haven't allowed this renewal process. I haven't set my things on the things of God. I haven't, there are things I need to cut off. There are things that I need to stop reading. There are conversations I need to stop having. They're on and on, whatever it may be that has distracted your mind away from the things of God. Maybe today you need to tell God, God, I want a renewed mind. And I'm going to set my mind on you. I'm going to set my mind on the things above instead of the things below. Have you ever heard this line before? Oh, that person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that line before? Ah, oh, they're just so heavenly minded. Now, usually it's applied to someone who is probably has a pretty close relationship with God. Maybe even intimidatingly so. But you know what? I don't think I've ever seen that person yet, including yours truly. Why don't you make it your goal this year to say, I'm going to be so heavenly minded that people will, people will not understand my connection with the Lord.
because that's where my commitment's going to be. I'm going to think different this year. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around in this place. We're going to have our invitation here in just a moment. But if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it is the beginning place of transformation. You can call on Him right now. You can sincerely from your heart just call out to Him and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know you love me. I need to be transformed. My mind needs to be transformed. My life needs to be transformed. And right now, I, I call out to you, become my Savior I invite you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Lord, and be my master, and transform me, transform all of me. I promise you, if you call out to him like that, he'll hear that, because the word of God has already told us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here this morning, and you say, Lord, I, I am saved. I called on you a long time ago, but Lord, I've allowed my mind to become captive to the fault patterns of this world and I want to renew my mind I want you to renew my mind I want the word of God to become uh, fresh in my life again and I will practice and I will take it in father so that you can do your work internally in me won't you tell him that now Lord we thank you um, that you have the truth that we need to be transformed I pray this morning, Father, for any who are listening to my voice through uh, TV or live stream, radio, Father, and in this uh, live audience, God, that today you would speak to our hearts. In this moment, God, for any that have just prayed that prayer to call on you to be their Savior, that today you would begin that wonderful pro process that you've promised. So, Lord, speak to us now. Before we're gone, in these moments of invitation, Father, give us courage to follow you like never before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our time of invitation? I'll be here as I always am. Staff will be on the sides. Maybe today is a day for you to come. You say, I need a church home. I want to join Ridgecrest. I invite you to come. Say, I'm saved. I just need a, a family to belong to. We'd love to have you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I, call, I prayed. I called on the Lord, that prayer, you know, to be my Savior. I think I've just been playing games with God, but today I really want to receive Him as my Savior. Would you slip out? Would you come into invitation time? Maybe you want to come. You want to pray. You want to pray around this altar. Come and use it. It's open. Kneel before God. You want to talk to Him. You're praying for someone, praying about something. Uh, you need wisdom. Whatever it may be, you come and kneel before Him. Humble yourself and kneel before Him and call on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's open and I hope you use it.